ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 86, Amy. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Conry, as well as our special guest for today, Amy Walsh. So at some point in our mainstream culture, brand authenticity started to get equated with the physical reality of the space in which we are working. As our guest today points out, that's often the least interesting part about what we do. So there are some more interesting questions we could pose, such as what is your work making possible or how is it impacting our culture? Amy reveals that deep expertise in Photoshop and an eye for a pretty flat lay is not a requirement for producing interesting and important imagery for your brand or interesting work in the world. Amy is an artist, a visual storytelling specialist, and founder of the Bureau of Tactical Imagination. She helps people uncover the visual story behind their work and use it to communicate their most important ideas. As a visual artist, Amy has exhibited in places as institutional as museums and as everyday as the streets. She's devoted her life to understanding and teaching about visual culture and the creative process, a road that winds through her work as a university educator and museum exhibit interactive designer, and an activist and digital culture maker. I think you're going to love this conversation. And without further ado, here is Amy. Welcome, Amy, to our show. We're thrilled to have you here. And why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in this online entrepreneurship space? Okay. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to be here. It was fun to be asked. I have been in the online business space for about three years now. I've done, you know, a number of things online and, you know, art projects and different kinds of projects in the online space. So, you know, marketing and promotion and those kinds of things weren't so new to me. But really until about three years ago, my background was all in art world stuff, like art making and exhibiting and arts education. So I taught as an instructor in various universities, teaching art and visual language and visual culture and things like that, and doing various kinds of activism and living a very, I think, typical for a lot of artists life of just piecing together lots of different ways of making a living and doing interesting projects and just being very scrappy and resilient. And to make a very long story short, it was way too much to continue that kind of lifestyle after having a child in 2009. So in about, let's see, I guess it was 2015, my body and my life just kind of said, nope, we can't do this anymore. And I was thrown into a great period of soul searching and kind of an identity shakeup. You know, my identity was so wrapped up in both academia and the art world and activism, actually, all of those things felt very important to my identity in the ways that I was doing them. And I really had to stop and say, how can I integrate all of these different things that matter to me so much? How can I integrate the way I create and the way I think in the things that I care about into one thing, instead of, you know, five or 10 things? How can I really simplify this whole operation and do something sustainable. And definitely having a child kind of kicked all those questions up a notch. And that's how my business began. Can you tell us, I would love to hear in your words, 
how do you describe who you are, what you do? Like, how do you in one sentence succinctly say what you do? Because I was trying okay. to find a phrase to and I and I would love to hear your description. Yes. Well, it's funny that you ask it just like that, because I was thinking before this call, I wonder if I'm going to need to describe what I do succinctly. Because I'm in the middle <laughs> yes, of a you are. kind of pivot in my business. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that might be changing. I always answer this question differently each time. But I like to describe myself as an artist and visual culture nerd in the online business space. So I help business owners or anyone with a project or artwork or a company or whatever it is that they're putting out into the world, learn how to be really excellent visual communicators. The online space is a completely visual space. And, you know, people who really know how to communicate on visual terms do really well there. And the visual world is an entryway into all kinds of other things that I think are important to think about as people who are creating culture and influencing culture, which we all are if we're running businesses. I have so many questions and so many directions that we could go, but I want to start with the idea about branding. And Mm -hmm. I just went through all your newsletters and pulled out quotes and things I found interesting that I know that our audience will enjoy. And one of the things that you said was that a brand is no longer fixed. Something has changed with the addition of the online and social media and so on, that the brand is no longer a fixed entity with a logo, a color, a font, and then it's done. So can you expand on that? Talk to us about what a dynamic, I guess, brand is now. Yeah. So yes, I mean, I think to some degree, really, really great, really effective brands have always been They've always had something baked into them that allows them to kind of stay relevant and stay evolving over time. But we, it's funny that we take this kind of older model of branding that I think really comes from the corporate world. Like if you think of a brand like Coca-Cola that never changes over time, we really take that kind of idea into these, you know, smaller, more flexible, more nimble businesses that we're creating. And we think that to show up with consistency and to show up as reliable and professional and cohesive, that means we have to have the colors and the fonts and the images, you know, the same, the same, the same. And that's where you see Instagram feeds that look sort of like wallpaper. And I actually think that is one method and one way of working that can be really effective, can be really effective for periods of time, for some businesses, for some modes of communication, but that the social media world has really, really changed. And the the social media era has really, really changed how we communicate to each other. And, and most importantly, how we create culture together, because we're living in this time where if you have enough technology in your life that you can have a smartphone (laughs) at this point, you can make videos and you can make images and you can play with fonts and you can do all the the things that used to be in the domain of professional designers with studios and educations and equipment. We're all communicating with more, we're putting out more content more quickly than ever. And culture is something that we are all co-creating in a much more obvious way. So To me, a brand now, especially in the social media space, is, yes, something that you become known for, something that becomes recognizable, something that is cohesive in a sense. But cohesion can mean the things that are important to you that continue to show over time, the things that are important to the work you do that continue to show over time, that can happen in a multitude of ways. And It's become really common now for brands and for businesses to evolve in public and to learn publicly and to make mistakes publicly and to fail publicly and to improve publicly. And that's what I think really great brands right now are doing. They're flexible and evolving and they're really a voice of a business and voices change over time. You said once that um, images are relational and they are not decorations. They are meant to be in a conversation with your imagination, with the work that you do and with the larger culture. Mm-hmm. And that is like, I, I just, I feel like right now I'm, I'm in a, a, both Jenny and I are really looking at who we are and how we're showing up online and, and what our branding is, partly because of the challenge that I just uh, went through with you, which we'll talk about. 
I'm just thinking about like, what can we do to really represent who we are and, and who we're trying to serve? There just seems to be like such a homogenization out there. Like it's gold scissors and white desks and peonies and an iPad, right? And it's yes. just like everyone is trying to achieve the same look. And mm-hmm. from the outside, and we're guilty of this, it seems to me like if you want to be successful online as an entrepreneur online, you need to use that imagery and that emotion and those feelings that those pictures evoke, or you're not going to make it. Yeah. And so many things pop to my mind as you say that. One is much of what fills our social media spaces, people building businesses, is people who are in the earlier stages of building businesses, right? Mm -hmm. So people in their first few years of building businesses, like I have been, are in really, really super intense learning curves about how it is you build a business. And one of the things we do as human beings when we're trying to learn something is we mimic our influences. So I think this is one factor. That's true. Yeah. You know, like when you're learning to be, when I was learning to be an oil painter in my 20s, I would go to museums with my art class and we would copy paintings. And I would insatiably copy those artists who I was who influenced me, maybe not directly, I wasn't telling myself I was copying them, but I was absorbing what they were doing. And I was putting it back out there. So I think that's one factor as we, we start off, we're building businesses, we're on a million learning curves, and we're just kind of copying what seems to work in the places where we don't have a ton of confidence about our own voice yet. Right. And then the trends that are out there for us to copy are so beautifully fine-tuned to manipulate our feelings about money and wealth and success and beauty and all the places that we have hurts, you know, growing up in the society we grow up in. It's, you know, there, (laughs) no one person is masterminding it, but there's these kind of cultural trends that seduce us just the way they always have in the magazines and in the high school popularity contests. And so I think it's, it's an easy trap to fall into. And another factor is that a lot of us don't feel like we have a ton of time to go really deep into the creative process that we would need to go into to really find out what our own visual voice is. And when you're first starting a business, you also often don't have the money to hire someone to spend a lot of time working that out with you. So it's this kind of like perfect storm for us to fall into that kind of conformity And it cracks me up because everyone's also talking about how important it is to stand out. (laughs) Right. Which they're not, right? Which they're not. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm guilty of all of this in my own business, you know, not so much with the imagery because I've always had a certain degree of confidence as an artist there, but, you know, my first rounds of setting up my programs and figuring out how to do my marketing and writing my marketing copy, I was so influenced by what I thought I should do. And it was really in my way. And it really helped me get started all at the same time. I have a question about visual appearance for brands. And given that you're talking about how the online space is such a visual space, I I really struggle with this. And just since you've spent so much time thinking about it and working on this issue, I wonder if maybe you can help me come to terms <laughs> with this situation, which is that what we do is fundamentally, I feel like not visual. So we have we're female founders of a technology company, and yet we have to manufacture some sort of visual appearance that isn't, in fact, what my life is, right? Like I'm sitting in front of, I I live a a personal, beautiful outside nature-filled life on an island in the Pacific Northwest. But in my work, my business is about running a technology company and I have screens and equipment all around me. Mm -hmm. And the kind of work that I do that's meaningful and deep for me is not something that I understand how to visually express in a way that's inter- that I think would be interesting to other people. And, and, and nor do I feel like I have the bandwidth to sort of take that on as an artistic endeavor. Although that sounds really fun to me to, to, <laughs> to figure out how to do that as like a real project. But in, in like the day-to-day life, like showing up on Instagram or on Pinterest, to me, like it's so incredibly exhausting mm-hmm. to have to think that I have to have some sort of beautiful portrayal of my life. Like I love my life, but it's not something that I think shows up 
and I don't want to have to be photographed doing it or like take pictures of my my desk. So I just want to hear your thoughts. You've probably heard this before, but this is really yes. a struggle for us. Absolutely. You are so not alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the big trends out there that a lot of people are conforming to is this idea that what it means to be authentic, what it means to show up and be honest about what you're doing is to show what it looks like when you're doing the work, what your desk looks like, what your hair looks like, what you're wearing, what, you know, what's the setting you're in. And that is the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest sliver of the reality of what the work is you do and what its impact is on the world. I mean, the content that you're putting out in your podcast is vast. It's about all kinds of things. It has nothing to do with what's on your desktop right now. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the ideas out there is that authenticity equals the literal reality of the physical world right around you as you're putting your work out there. And that is so not interesting to any of the people in your audience. So I commend you for resisting doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think for some, for some brands, that is really important, you know, and for most brands, it isn't. And one of the things that I say to my clients and to the people in my community over and over is what is authentic about you, what is authentic about your work is its impact is the genius in it, the imagination in it, what you're exploring, what experiences are coming out of it, what it's making possible, what new ideas are being sparked for people. And that's the challenge, I think, with the visuals, to create visuals mm -hmm. that don't describe the work, because you can't, you can't describe all of that in one image, Right. right. And, and it's not useful to describe the room you're sitting in while you're doing the work. That's the least interesting part about right. it. So words can do a lot of the describing. The, the podcasts themselves do a lot of the describing. Images are there to just evoke. Right. Some people can use them to describe with diagrams and such, but images are really great at evoking. So what you guys can do is really think about the kind of culture and the kind of world that you create through this work, what, is it, what does it feel like? What is it making possible? You know, if this whole endeavor that you're doing was a place that you arrive to in the real world, in the spirit world, wherever you want it to be, don't worry about the laws of physics, you know, what does it feel like? What kind of colors do you see there? How are people relating to each other? What does it sound like? And you know, I take people through all kinds of questions like that, but probably that would even be enough for you to start at least being able to come up with words that somehow point to what you want to evoke. Mm -hmm. And then you can start to play with images. That's when you can have that hit in the middle of the night, like, oh, our whole Instagram feed just needs to look like a pile of pipe cleaners and felt. Or our Instagram <laughs> feed, I just want it to feel like mist, you know? I want it to feel like this. I want it to feel like that. And then you can start to map roots forward. So that's a, that's a really quick synopsis of how that branding conversation would go, I think. It reminds me of blogging. I mean, I used to blog a million years ago in blogging terms. And I mean, it was writing. It was to me about the work that I was doing was writing and the pictures, the images that I was creating with photo, my very limited non-professional use of Photoshop at the time were just like ti a tiny hint of what this, this writing experience was going to be yeah. about. And so I just, yeah. I think that f for me, and I think for our culture, that there's been this shift that's happened that we're expected, I think, to be masterful at photography and at design in order to be successful. And right. for some of us, like that's not actually what our, where our genius lies. And I, and I think it puts a lot of pressure to be like, it's in it. It's um like I said, exhausting is the major yes. <laughs> feeling, but as you're hearing your feedback back to me, it just sort of helps me rethink the work um, in terms of that other, right. Like, you know, t ancient 10 year ago <laughs> version yes. of what it was like to be on the internet. It's really different now. It's so different yeah. now. Like you actually, I think it's, as important as ever to cultivate 
confidence in your creativity. It's important as ever to be able to be creative and innovative and to play and to be able to make that leap where you can think more visually. That's still important. But the piece about having to have deep expertise in Photoshop or, you know, some of the skills that used to take people years and years and years and years to learn, that stuff is just gone right now. Like some of the most incredibly powerful social brands right now are just made with Instagram filters, you know, and iPhones, the the telephone technology and the image editing technology has gotten so easy to use and, and to make beautiful, really professional quality images with. So I would, you know, the exhaustion piece is real, for sure, it can feel really overwhelming. And I think it's because it's images are a different language than words. And if you're really immersed in the world of words, which most of us are much more so than images, it can feel like a really big leap to make. But I've often seen that some of the wordiest, wordsmithiest kind of people that come to me, I listen to them talk and there's so much visual language they're evoking with their words that sometimes just listening to them talk, the ideas pop out. And I say, do you hear what you keep saying? You keep saying these words that have to do with, I don't know, stickiness. That's visual. What can we do with that? How can we play with that? So I think, you know, as exhausting as it feels, it's not, you're probably not as far from it as you think, but the right questions definitely go a long way. (laughs) Amy, I want to bring up the recent challenge that you did specifically to get to the commenting policy, because I think this is that word evoke, that's what really happened was my experience during during the uh, challenge. So you ran a five-day challenge, it was just like a week ago, two weeks ago, called The Art of Showing Up. And the subtitle was Selfies, Self-Portraits, and Your Visual Brand. You gave us a challenge every single day to take five different selfies. You had different sort of themes for each day. We had to post those in the Facebook group, and then we would have comments back. And I want to tell you that I have never seen such a safe and inviting and warm place in on the internet ever before. I thought you did such a great job wow. of le- leading yeah. that group, but also your the rules that we had to agree to, like the commenting, was just so powerful. And I think I think I cried every single day of that challenge because of <laughs> maybe what I was experiencing for myself trying to do these these tasks. Or and or reading and looking at the, these images of these incredible people from all over the world doing really hard, like showing up and and doing something that is difficult and uncomfortable and not accepted, you know, on Instagram, uh, and doing it anyway. And I just like I can't tell you. Obviously, I've got a lot of learning to do in that area because it was so emotional emotional to me. But what I really wanted to to share with everyone is that the commenting policy. So you had these different challenges throughout the week, but you made these rules that we got to say for our images, what kind of feedback we were looking for or needed or wanted. So, so often when we, I don't know, even walk down the street or or show up at a party or post something on Facebook or Instagram or wherever, we get these comments, this 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 information back that we maybe didn't want or, or don't want to hear or aren't looking for. And we have no control of how people relate to the way we look or or the images that we post. And so it never occurred to me and to say, hey, this is what I want to know. I, here's my photos. And so the commenting policies to give everyone some examples and to Jenny, because she wasn't part of this, it was like, so the one that I did, I put these photos out and I said, we have an afternoon together. What do you want to do? And I sat there and cried again because people had the most imaginative, beautiful afternoons planned with me with the little bit of information that they saw on these crazy five photos that I took that were just crappy, but whatever. You know, it was the, I, you gave me a challenge, I did it. Or people would say, one word, what's the emotion that you see? When, one word, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Or five adjectives, how do you comment on these these photos? And I think you talked to us about beauty, using the word beautiful, because that's the default, right? You just want to say, oh my God, you're so beautiful, or beautiful sweater, or gorgeous, or you know, just yeah. one word. It's all about the physical beauty. And it took that away. And it was like, oh, this is really cool, because what happened was so deep and so human and so real and so not fluffy in surface. And it was just 
incredible. So thank you for that. And I think that's something we can take to our our, our social media is to, to bring up those sort of, this is what I'm looking for. Like, please comment um, emotion wise, or what does this evoke for you? Or what do you feel? Or what do you want to do with me? If we, you know, what are we going to talk about over breakfast? If we went to breakfast together, it's brilliant. So what, what surprised you about that during that challenge? Yeah, thank you for sharing all that. I cried every day too. I always Did cry you? during oh, that good. challenge. Okay, okay. Yeah, I good. go to the photos section of the Facebook group and I just start going through the images yeah. and I just, at some point something gets me and, and I'm off. <laughs> yeah. And it does always surprise me. The commenting policy was a hunch. The first time I ever taught this workshop, which was just one other time, I've done it twice now, I was surprised at how well it worked. And this time I was able to refine it more and get more people's feedback on it and kind of hold the container more carefully. And I think that was taught me a lot too. I think this time, what surprised me about the commenting policy, well, I would put it this way, it it got me thinking more deeply about some things I wasn't thinking about. One is that in asking people to each take charge of their own space of their post with their five images, it automatically creates an environment where every single person is taking leadership. And I think that ripples out into all different things about how we're creating a group culture together. So when I saw people signing up for this workshop and I saw the numbers rising, because in the past, my group workshops have always had maybe 200 signups at the most. And that felt like just a little bit more than I could hold. This time, by the time the workshop started, it was over 500 signups. And I was out there trying to find a moderator to co-moderate it with me because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to keep track of everything. And a really good friend whose business advice I trust very much said, no, what if you couldn't have someone help you? What if you had to put the responsibility of creating a safe container on everyone in the group so that there wouldn't be a mommy or a police officer or you know all those things we've been trained to think we need? in those kinds of spaces? How can you create a container that is so solid that you will not be exhausted and that everyone will step up? And that happened this time. So I didn't get a co-moderator. I worked less hard this time than I worked in the smaller group that I did last November. And, and that really surprised me that sort of the impact of inviting people to take leadership over one little thing really invites people to take leadership of the whole. So the quality of people's comments and their attention to each other changed this time. And then the other piece I would say is because the space got safer and cleaner, it was actually much easier for me to see the places where we do carry unconscious biases, where I was able to sit back a little bit and watch and say, okay, on whose posts is it easy for people to follow their commenting policy? And on whose posts do people feel tempted to violate the commenting policy? Whose posts are getting ignored? Whose posts are more popular? And as, as remarkably safe and kind of beautiful that community was, of course, all those things are still present because we live in the culture we live in. So the commenting policy for me became an educational tool that makes things clear that are otherwise hidden. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the week, I felt like I learned more and maybe other people learned more from the commenting policy about, you know, how we relate to each other around showing up and around changing culture and around caring for each other than almost any other lesson. Mm-hmm. And that was really exciting to me. That that I would absolutely agree with that. And the caring for each other was probably what made me cry every day because I think it was day two that it was the beauty and the ugly or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I again, I wrote this down because I thought it was so beautiful and it stuck with me that on day two in the instructions, it was about um, something like treat this as a photographic body blessing. And you are negating the colonial gaze, the patriarchal gaze, the consumer gaze, and replace it with the gaze of liberation and of love. 
And so we were instructed to take something, selfies of ourselves, so something that wasn't beautiful. And people were taking like their gray hair, the roots of their hair, or their the wrinkles of their eyes, or their cellulite. Or one woman posted a picture of a leg that is shorter. And and I remember they people would say, no comments about beauty, no beauty comments. Just tell me, you know, what we could do together, or or whatever emotion, something to do with emotion. And it was like so beautiful what came out of those images because they, you know, they weren't what people would put on Instagram. They're not our most flattering angles or whatever. And it was incredible. And I remember people, and then one woman was like, tell me that I'm beautiful. Someone tell me that I am beautiful. And I was like, oh, yes. oh you're so, and everyone Perfect. was just like, ah, you, you know, and, and you could see beauty in all of them as ugly right. as they were, you know, in quotations, they were beautiful. Like these women who had these inner struggles and they didn't feel like they fit in. They didn't feel like they were seen. Like, oh my God, like I just wanted to wrap my arms around every single one of them who struggle because there is a beauty standard out there that we don't fit or they don't feel like they fit into. Like it made me so sad and so mad at our world culture. So that is what you're changing, what we need to stand up and change each one of us. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a consciousness raising kind of workshop. You know, it's not necessarily built that way. And I never know how it's going to be that way, but it, it is that way. And, you know, part of it, I think, is something like the commenting policy and, you know, what it reveals is how much the rest of the culture is not a culture of consent. Right. The only reason any person, I almost said any woman, because many of the people in this group were women, but there were also some gender nonconforming and a few brave men in the space, mm-hmm. um, some queer, trans, you know. But the only reason any of us wouldn't feel beautiful, or the only reason any of us would parse our body into all these little pieces and judge good or bad on each little piece, is we got information installed into us, oppressive information from the, the larger sexist culture or, you know, racist, sexist, ableist, et cetera, culture without our consent. We've already been told whether it's just, you know, by accident, by contagion from the billboards and the magazines and pop culture, or been told directly by people in our lives or by the cat calls, the comments, the micro humiliations from a young age, we've all been commented on continually since our birth in this culture without our consent. So the minute you say, I'm going to try to look at myself differently, and there will be no comments here that have not been invited by me, you allow all of that to come up, which still is, it gives me chills right now just thinking about it. It's still a surprise to me. It's still, I'm still learning what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> when it's happening. But I think that's where the the flood of caring comes from, too. It's like something we're all dying for, the ability to care about each other well, the ability to not participate in these cultural norms that we are, you know, automatically participate in around judging ourselves and judging others and the comparisons and all the things that are like the air we breathe. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. We have so many clients that are yoga teachers and Pilates and health and mainly in the wellness area, that industry is like, you know, it's all beautiful handstands on the beach with perfect bodies. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just one of the worst, I think, for for falling into these traps of it should look like this. Do you have any advice or if, if someone's listening to this going, God, how do I show up differently in my business with the imagery, the visuals? How do, where do they start to really start to represent what their life is like, their body is like, you know, what their students are, how would you advise them? There are so many ways. I mean, you know, there are as many ways to market your business in any industry as there are people running these businesses. 
you know, the first things that pop into my mind that I would want everyone to consider is to use real people and real bodies. Not that a thin, white, super toned body isn't real, but it's not the norm, actually. So use all different kinds of bodies. Show, you know, can you use in your marketing with permission the people who actually engage in your classes can can be part of a group culture making effort. So that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is to know, you know, the, of course the the objection or the resistance that comes up for many people around that is yes, but does that sell? People want to see the image of the person who's not only thin and white and supple and strong, but also free and happy and like has a lot of mobility and movement in their body and all these things. What does that do when you focus only on that image or those sets of images in terms of the larger cultural impact that it makes? And I think in many cases, what it does is it help sell your program, but it helps leverage an image that is used to oppress people, Mm -hmm. which is that there is a right way to look, be, and feel. This is what it is. And you need to strive for this, which is a really, really dangerous message. It's, you know, it's, this is the body image, (laughs) the big body image, violent message that's out there. So I think where it gets tricky and where it gets complicated is you, you want to do well in your business. You want to sell your service. You don't want to do it by manipulating where people feel bad about themselves and stimulating people's fantasy about this mythical norm, right? Which is, which is unattainable for most of us and keeps us all feeling ugly. <laughs> and this is where the creativity comes in because the, the automatic thought would be similar to what I said before, which is, well, just put larger bodies and differently abled bodies and brown bodies and all these things. And if that's kind of the next place that you land, then you're, you know, you're disappointing the part of people that wants to follow this mythical norm because we all get very attached to it. And you're not, you're not, giving a big enough vision, right? I'm I'm kind of stumbling my way towards this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think what's important is the idea of, you know, whether your work, maybe your work is about that people love the body that they're in, that they feel good in the body that they're in, that they feel like they can become healthier and stronger and freer and more and more in love with themselves. And I think the question is, what does that look like? What does that feel like? And how can I evoke it if it's not through this mythical archetype that's so damaging to the culture? It's a real opportunity to make a big impact in the culture of sexism and racism and ableism through imagination and through visual language. It's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity, but there's no set answer like do it this way or do it that way. Never is. It in never is. But I do, I do think getting away from the one type of body model is the first step. It's just not the only step. When I first uh, heard of you and your work, it was through Kelly Deals. And uh, she's one of those people that have profoundly impacted both Jenny and myself. And basically whatever she says to do, or read or watch or follow I do and and you were one of those. And I remember coming to your site and looking at this photo on like I didn't I don't know I just clicked through I didn't really know what it was and I I looked at this photo of you and I stopped dead cold in my tracks and stared. There was a woman with blue Chuck Taylors and a cardboard briefcase and duct tape and a glue gun or something. I, I don't know all this stuff to sort of strewn about and it it was so curious to me. And I and and through this um this challenge to you you had us use props and it just never occurred to me to use things to represent because I'm not a visual artist like you do that so well to show what you do. And so I encourage everyone to go over to to Amy's site to look at how she shows up. And it's not easy for you. Did I hear you say that in a Facebook live? I definitely get 
shy and embarrassed. You know, when I was promoting the art of showing up, I did a big selfie photo shoot with my friend and my iPhone, nothing fancy. And, you know, goofy stuff, props, costumes, etc. And I posted selfies, you know, a couple times a day for five or six days. And by the end of it, I was definitely getting visibility hangover. I was definitely like, oh, I feel like I'm calling too much attention to myself. It's all about me, 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 you know, that kind of stuff totally hits me. And, you know, when I'm not promoting that workshop, I'm not doing a lot of selfies. Going on live, you know, Facebook live every day during that challenge. It's that was my challenge. That was my art of showing up challenge was just to keep doing that. And and that's why it's so great to have a business and to set up these situations for yourself where you have to show up. Right. But yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I think that photo shoots and things like that, I can get into artists playing in her studio mode. So that's a lot easier for me. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's making it public can be a little harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even that photo shoot that produced that one photo you were just describing I had a professional photographer who's a friend of mine come to my house and help me with my professional photos for my business. It was my new business at the time. And we took a whole bunch of really standard portrait photographs where I tried to look pretty. Mm. And then at the end, I said, let's just play around. Let's experiment. I had this one idea. It's probably going to fail, but let's see what happened. happens. And I got some of my son's toys. I got some fruit out of the refrigerator. I grabbed some of my art supplies. I said, I feel like I'm pretending by doing this business. It feels like I'm putting on some other clothes that aren't mine. I'm going to wear a suit. I'm going to be in business drag, you know? And so we just dressed up and played for a while. And then when I saw that image, I said, oh, that's iconic. And Mm -hmm. I, I did not, I did not expected and I didn't plan it. It came out of a creative process, which is how these things always work in my experience. And then I put it out on the internet and that one image really built my business. I'd been struggling, Mm. struggling, struggling to attract people to my work. And when I put that image out and said, come to an image, a visual storytelling free workshop, like the art of showing up, but it wasn't about selfies. Suddenly a couple hundred people signed up and I had a mailing list of like 25 people at that point. So it was a really huge thing. It changed everything to take that risk, do something silly, not know what I was doing, not plan it, just play. And then something emerged from it. And I think too, for for all of our health and wellness people, like they could do the same kind of thing. It doesn't have to be done obviously in a in a professional photo shoot with uh, yeah. you know, white background or whatever, it can just be de- like, that's what you had us do in the challenge is just grab a costume, grab a dress, grab a funny hat, grab whatever, and, and see what you can do and see what comes out of it. And I think people really surprise themselves about how they could represent who they are with just things around their, their home or in their yard or yeah. wherever. And so it's and, just the imagination part is missing, I think. Yes, yes. And it can be hard when you're building a business, you're so immersed in the, the to do lists and the structures and all the things you have to do. It's very linear. It's very left brain. It's like, you know, making your way through the, the systems. But when you can break away from that and play, you know, I'm just thinking, for people who work with and around bodies, wellness coaches, yoga instructors, etc., the body how fascinating and interesting is that as a a tool for creative play? So what if you couldn't take yoga photos on a beach or on a yoga mat, and you had to do them in relationship to furniture? What if you had to do them in the grocery store? What if you had to do them in a tree? You know, what if you what if you created interesting scenarios with with animals and your kids? And you know, there's so many different things you could do. Because the the image doesn't have to be a literal representation of what happens in the class. Say it's a yoga right. class. People know what happens in a yoga class. I would be really drawn to a yoga instructor who is doing yoga on top of a bus with a pizza balanced on their stomach <laughs> and a yoga instructor on a beach. <laughs> I said, yeah. no, there's an interesting person. Right. There's an interesting person with a playful spirit and with some boldness and some courage. I'm there. Yeah. yeah you know, it makes me think one of one of the primary mission driven goals that we have in our in our company is to change the face of entrepreneurship. So to to sort of open up that space to people who previously couldn't be part of it or didn't feel included in that space and to to make it known that this is available now to almost anyone with any 
expertise or skill who has just a small amount of money to invest you can you can become an entrepreneur it's really this remarkable time in human history and i think part of that work is shifting what it looks like to be in business right so like we had this idea for a hundred years that it was like a 50 year old white man in a suit (laughs) right and and now to me like my exposure to the business world online is that it's like a woman blowing glitter out of her hand (laughs) with a blowout in her hair which is equally problematic and horrible to me and for a lot of reasons and I think you know I don't know how to do what you do. I mean, everything you're saying is so fascinating and important to me. But I think part of this work, like this work that we're doing with with the tool we've created and with the community that we're working in and we've gathered together is to really show anyone that they can be that image, that image of a business owner or of an entrepreneur is available to anyone. And I just um, finished going through Catherine Hoke's book, A Second Chance. I don't know if you've read her book or you know of that book. It's She runs a program in prisons called Defy Ventures where she she teaches prisoners to shift their hustle. So I'm teaching entrepreneurship in prison. And it just, to me, entrepreneurship is this very liberating tool that's available to us as as women or as people who historically haven't had the kind of opportunity um, that some people have had. And so I think this visual piece is important because if you can't see yourself as that, you're not going, you're unlikely to take it on, right? Like if you can't see yourself as a, as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, if you look online and you see the people who are starting businesses who have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram and you don't look like that, you don't, you're less likely, I feel like to want to take it on in the same way that, when I was growing up and going through school, I never even took a business class I, because everything I saw about business didn't look like me or didn't feel like me. And I right. didn't see myself in that world, right? So I, I just wonder, I imagine we're, we're like of the same mission here. And I, mm-hmm. and I think your piece is really important and it's something that I personally have struggled with. And I just, I hope that people who are doing this work with you are able to start to, to see each other and see themselves more in this role. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I so agree with every part of what you just said. And i that's a lot, you know, that's why I started the art of showing up. I, I was teaching, you know, and coaching a lot of different folks about how to, you know, translate your ideas into images and how to develop creative processes that allow you to create more social media images that feel like you and all these things. And I kept seeing that that over and over what got in people's way was showing up as themselves and knowing that they were the right kind of person, whatever, mm-hmm. whoever they were and whatever they were, that they were actually the center of the thing that they were building and not an imposter and not a fake and not. So absolutely, I love that you brought that up because being able to see ourselves, that there's a way you have to see yourself as the center of the universe and a way to build a business. Like... I'm here, I have something to say, I'm going to say it and people are going to come mm-hmm. is a big stretch for many, many, many of us. Many, yeah. many, many of us were conditioned to be the support people for people who do that. Yeah. You know, right. it's a big identity shift. Absolutely. So the art of showing up is really about let's look at this. Let's flush some of these things out. Let's reclaim our own image. Let's reclaim our right to have an image. Let's see what it could look like if it's not going to look like, you know, what our relationship is to the, to the patriarchal or the colonial gaze or whatever. What does it look like? And shake that stuff up so that we can come back to the bigger question of making images for our business and just have some more confidence and some more playfulness because it's a huge, fun play space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Sure. Is there, yeah. Are there people that you follow or perhaps some of your clients that are really good examples who are doing this and changing culture? Oh, yeah. I mean, so many. I, actually, it was interesting when you were talking about the wellness space earlier. One of my previous clients flashed into my mind, Lou Urich. And I don't know if she's doing it now, but she had this idea that I loved so much. And I thought it was such a great spin, such a great twist on the kind of visual culture she was doing her work in. So she does health and wellness coaching. I'm not sure that's the exact phrase she would use now, actually. But, you know, she helps people with their relationships to their bodies and their relationships to health. And she was on Instagram. And one of the questions that I ask my clients, and this would be really great for people in your audience to ask themselves too, is 
what is the visual culture of the world that you're marketing your stuff in, your industry, your topic, whatever it is? And the way you answer that question is you just go look at the top 20 people doing that work in the field. Go through your Instagram feed where you're probably following a lot of people in your industry. What are the kind of stories being told through these images? What's not being said through these images? And Lou went out and did that. And she was like, you know, over and over and over and over, I just keep seeing all these health coaches posting these beautiful images of plates of food sparse, plant-based, you know, beautiful plates of food, which is, that is beautiful, you know, like, and that is a really beautiful message. But she said, one of the things I'm trying to work on with my clients is to release the shame they have about eating in the first place. So she started a photographic series where she prepared a beautiful plate of food or went to a restaurant and got a beautiful plate of food. And then she ate it and she photographed the disaster that was her plate after enjoying a meal. And then she wrote about it and talked about it, about the pleasure and the joy of eating. And she mm-hmm. talked about what she ate and she, all the other issues, you know, all the, the recipes, whatever it was. But she said, let's, let's talk about our empty plates. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Not that's this perfect great. untouched thing that could mm-hmm. only exist in perfection without having a relationship to our body, you know? Yeah. So it's things like that, like looking at the bigger culture around what you're doing and saying, what's missing here? What's not being said? And what, where do I line up with and support and kind of continue the, the narratives that I think are important that are already out there? And where do I want to disrupt them? Where do I want to offer an alternative that's not there already? And that what if question can be the kind of creative spark that lets a lot of other interesting questions arise. I love it all. Amy, thank you. (laughs) We are going to take you through Proust's questionnaire now. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) What is your idea of perfect happiness? Oh, my idea of perfect happiness. To me, perfect happiness is a very long night in the studio making something. It almost doesn't matter if it's, you know, coming out of my own creative genius or I'm just answering an assignment, but just making something, not struggling with my own confidence in the making, listening to really good music and just getting lost in it and enchanted by it. It's a rare state, but I chase it (laughs) and it's perfect happiness. (laughs) That sounds beautiful. What is your greatest fear? Oh, my greatest fear. Oh, that's a big one. Well, definitely death. I will say I'm not enlightened around that one. I'm (laughs) afraid of death. And I'm really afraid of climate change. Which living person do you most admire? Hmm. Living person that I most admire. You guys didn't send me these questions. No, I didn't. On purpose. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Like, Like, whoa, I really wish I had prepared I missed this this email. (laughs) Living person that I most admire. You can skip it if you don't, if there's nothing that you know, immediately comes to mind. Yeah, I might think of it by the end and I'll have you ask me again. What is your greatest extravagance? Chocolate, dark chocolate. What is the... I've been known to eat an entire giant dark chocolate bar (laughs) in five minutes and then be on a horrible caffeine high for the next couple of hours. I've never done that. (laughs) What is the quality you most like in a person? The quality I most like in a person, listening. Who are your favorite writers? The ones that that come right off the top of my head right now are Jeanette Winterson because of one book that she wrote called Art Objects or Art Objects, which really changed how I understood the process of looking at art and appreciating art. Sarah Santillis, who's a friend of mine, wrote a book called Draw Your Weapons. Hmm. And it's this incredible, poetic, scholarly, yet totally accessible, beautiful meditation on art and violence and art and imagination as a force for healing and healing the world and understanding the world and, and addressing violence in ourselves and in the world. Really incredible. She's a, she's a really incredible student of and teacher of photography. Hmm. 
And I really love the fantasy novels. Like I grew up on Narnia and to- you know, Token, The Lord of the Rings, and I got really into Philip Pullman series, oh, his that's Dark Materials. So good. I love the mm-hmm. complex, difficult, beautiful stuff. And I'm just starting to dip my toe into the world of Octavia Butler, and I'm really excited about that. Hmm, I don't know that one. I'll have to look for oh. it. Octavia Butler. Yeah. Great. Thank yeah. you so much, Amy. And Next, Jenny. Okay, we're going to move into the joy and hustle portion of the podcast. So please share a resource that can bring our listeners joy and a tool to help them hustle in their business. Okay, so a resource that brings me joy is very, very simple, yet profound, and probably something everyone's already aware aware of, which is the land and the earth and getting off the computer and sinking your bare feet into the ground somewhere, a city park, a beach, a forest floor, listening to the birds, listening to the trees, and reconnecting with nature. This is very much on my mind because I'm developing a summer program where I'm making my students spend a lot of time in nature to be able to think about their businesses. (laughs) So the land brings me joy. And the hustle... Piece. This is the one I have a couple of answers for. One is I have a local mastermind group, totally not professional, no website, no one's getting paid, no leader. But I have, there's a group of seven of us women who some of us are artists, some of us are business owners. And we get together every Thursday night without fail. We are called Failure Club. And the idea is that we are out on our learning and growing edges and we're here to support each other in the successes and the failures. We just met last night and I would say that source of support and I have, I'm good at organizing a lot of support around me, but that source of in-person support with people over time, tracking each other and caring about each other has been the biggest support of my business even though none of them have been able to tell me what to do and none of them necessarily have more business experience than I do. That's actually where I've learned to find my own compass Mm -hmm. as a business owner. And then in terms of the business resource online, so that's my first piece of advice. Everyone get yourself, make a group like that. Just make a group like that and start meeting weekly. No less often than weekly. In terms of business support, I've been a member for a long time of Tara Gentili, who's now Tara McMullen's co-commercial community on Mighty Networks. And before it was co-commercial on Mighty Networks, it was called The Lab. It's a big group, several hundred business owners who hang out in that space and give each other really, really, really good feedback, support information, education. I would say 90% of the business education that I have gotten over the last three years to build the business that I have has come from that very inexpensive, very vibrant community. So I really love co-commercial. Awesome. Thank you. So just quickly, can you tell people how they can work with you and where they can find you online? Yes. Yes. So my website is amywalsh.net. And the pivot that I'm making in my business right now is that I'm going all in with teaching, you know, courses, workshops, community building, and I'm creating a community, a membership site called the Visionary Syndicate. So the visionarysyndicate.com should be operational by the time you publish this podcast. I'm launching all of this on July 1st. And people can find me there as well. I do work with people one-on-one. I do a six-week or a six-call process. Sometimes it takes longer than six weeks, but six 90-minute phone calls where I bring people through a process called Uncover the Visual Story of Your Work. And my clients work through their own visual creative assignments and prompts that we co-create together in thinking about their work and their business so that they can really have the tools to create you know, consistent, beautiful social media feeds that really communicate whatever's at the heart of their work so that they can understand their brand in a visual way. Even if they're hiring someone else to do the graphics for them, they're really in charge of that process. So that's a way that I work with people one-on-one. And I have a Facebook group called the Tactical Imagination Club, 
which will eventually be replaced by the Visionary Syndicate. But it's it's there and active and vibrant now. And I encourage people to come hang out there with us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been such a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you both. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free. Thank you.